Hey, everybody. It is Friday, February 2nd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. If it feels like you've lived this day before, <laughs> you're right. It's Groundhog Day, Jill. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. That's a line from the movie. For those of you who haven't seen the classic Bill Murray movie, Jill has most of it memorized. So definitely watch that. And of course, if you wake up tomorrow and you find yourself in a familiar location at a familiar time, you might be living that movie. Jill, by the time many people listen to this podcast this morning, you might already have the headline out as to what a groundhog in Pennsylvania has discovered about his shadow or not. Just a refresher, if Punxsutawney Phil sees his shadow, that means six more weeks of winter. If he does not, in early spring, the last three years he has seen his shadow. He's been doing this, or a version of him, has been doing this for more than 100 <laughs> years there in Pennsylvania. That Phil, he's so old. <laughs> that Phil lives forever. You know, it's like one of those things. Like, there's been a lot of groundhogs named Punxsutawney Phil. We're just dealing with the latest one. This latest one, though, one of the more inaccurate ones we've seen, uh, NOAA, the weather agency, uh, has run the numbers here and finds that his track record in the most recent 10 years is only 40% accurate, meaning he's actually less accurate than a coin flip, if that's possible. (laughs) Well, Mosh, we're relying on a rodent to tell us whether or not we're going to have an early spring. So I think anything's possible. So PETA, the uh, animal rights group, has said, you know, this is not fair to the animal. Replace it with a coin flip. Statistically speaking, PETA has an argument as well. A coin flip literally would be more accurate in predicting um, the length of winter here than Phil. That said, Phil, maybe this is your year. You were not accurate last year. This, you know, maybe don't go for the shadow this year, but it's always hard because there's also all the lights, the TV lights. So it is very hard to get a gauge. It's rigged. It's totally it's, rigged. The whole thing is rigged at this point for a shadow. And I should note, Joe, he's not the only one. There's groundhogs and other animals across the country today that will also uh, be making predictions. I believe Staten Island, I think the Staten Island Chuck, uh, who tends to be more accurate than Punxsutawney Phil. So I'll be looking to Staten Island Chuck to see what he says today as well. And aggressive. Didn't he bite Mayor Bloomberg or... De Blasio. De Blasio. And de Blasio dropped him and killed him. It was a whole controversy. Among the many controversies that de Blasio dealt with, he's blamed for killing a groundhog. Okay. No comments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get to some news here. The U.S. has plans to strike Iranian personnel and facilities in Iraq and Syria as a response to the killing of three U.S. troops in Jordan. What we know... Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin apologizing for how he handled his cancer diagnosis and hospitalization. What we know about a potential deal to pause fighting in exchange for hostages in Gaza. In Afghanistan, the Taliban had promised to cut ties with al-Qaeda, but the terror group appears to be growing, according to a new report. Back here in the U.S., a pineapple express causing heavy rain and floods in California. But a second storm next week could be worse. In business news, Peloton shares plunging as its turnaround plan gets mixed results. Also, why a Delaware judge this week canceled Elon Musk's $56 billion payday from Tesla. And why do women have more autoimmune diseases? A new study points to the X chromosome. And the Grammys are Sunday. Some of the storylines we'll be watching. And who's going to be performing? 
Yes, some exciting news and a, a rare appearance by Tracy Chapman. Plus, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. What we are watching, reading, and eating. Girl Scout cookie season, chill. <laughs> All right, we've been waiting for some type of retaliatory strikes from the U.S. after that drone strike on Sunday killed three U.S. troops in Jordan. And on Thursday, we learned a bit more about what's in store. It is looking like it could spread over a number of days and against a number of targets. U.S. officials have confirmed that plans have been approved for a series of strikes, including Iranian personnel and facilities inside of Iraq and Syria, As expected, the U.S. is stopping short of attacking any targets inside of Iran itself. Again, this is a response to that drone attack on Sunday at the Tower 22 base inside of Jordan, right near the Syrian border. Three American soldiers were killed, the first U.S. troops killed in an attack in the Middle East during this current conflict. The U.S. determined that the drone was manufactured by Iran. Now, in terms of timing of any of these retaliatory strikes, it could depend upon the weather. U.S. officials telling CBS News that the U.S. has the ability to carry out the strikes in bad weather, but prefers to have better visibility of their selected targets as a way to make sure that no civilians who may actually be in the area at the last minute are hit. A senior Iraqi official telling NBC News that armed factions linked to Iran have been evacuating their headquarters in both Iraq and Syria in anticipation of a heavy American response. And on Wednesday, Kataib Hezbollah said that it was suspending its military operations against American forces, apparently because it does not want to embarrass Iraq. Uh, that organization is a pro-Iranian militia that is based in Iraq. Now, there have not been any new attacks on U.S. troops in the region since Wednesday. Yeah, this is different from the Hezbollah that's based in Lebanon. This is a different Hezbollah based in Iraq that Iran also arms and supports. It's clear here uh, that based on how public the U.S. is being, they're trying to tamp down tensions, giving Iran a heads up here. Iran clearly trying to tamp down on some of these proxy groups that it's been using and that have gone rogue at times, it appears, according to them, with some of these attacks. And the last thing Iran says they want is war. The head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard says it's not looking for war with the U.S., but it will respond to any threat from the U.S. There's a lot of rhetoric here that you have to try to read between the lines on. His name is Hussein Salami. He's quoted as saying, we hear threats coming from American officials. We tell them that they have already tested us And we now know one another. No threat will be left unanswered, he said. At the same time, though, uh, the Iranians know that three Americans are dead and the U.S. will respond here. So this is, as we discussed earlier this week, might be the scenario where the U.S. has effectively telegraphed what they're doing, allowing uh, Iranian top commanders to escape these places. Effectively, what the message is, we're going to hit you back and you're going to suck it up. And that's going to be the end of this which was one potential route we discussed earlier in the week. So it appears this Kataib Hezbollah and some of these other groups that Iran is tamping down on. Uh, the Houthis are another story. They're the group out of Yemen that Iran supports. They continue uh, to plan and try to execute attacks. The U.S. Uh, responded in the last 24 hours there with another strike on the Houthis. So it appears Iran, which uses all these groups for their foreign policy, for their uh, goals across the region, uh, has been poking the U.S. And in this case, has done more, right, in killing three U.S. soldiers, injuring uh, more than three dozen others, realized that they went too far here. The U.S. trying to find a middle ground of stopping Iran but not causing uh, a major war. And that is what we're watching both publicly uh, and behind the scenes happen right now. 
so Moshe, as we covered here on the podcast, one of the reasons that that drone may have been able to infiltrate the U.S. base was the confusion because a U.S. drone was entering that airspace very shortly before the enemy drone did. So some analysts say that this group probably didn't think that their drone was going to actually kill anybody and that it was just that crazy timing. Um, And so now because they did that, they're trying to de-escalate the situation. Yeah, sort of a a bizarre situation where they attack the base without intending to actually kill anybody, but to show force. And they're like, whoa, we got through. Now what do we do? We've declared war on the world's largest military power. And we did hear from Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin for the first time since the drone attack that killed the troops. He said the U.S. will continue to work to avoid a wider conflict in the region but that, quote, we will take all necessary actions to defend the United States, our interests and our people. And we will respond when we choose, where we choose and how we choose. And he also apologized to the American public and took full responsibility for just that lack of transparency regarding his recent health scare and prostate cancer diagnosis. He said at no point was there a lapse in terms of who was in charge of the Defense Department, but that he should have told the president and his team. Now, I want you all to know that to know why this happened. I was being treated for prostate cancer. The news shook me, and I know that it shakes so many others, especially in the black community. It was a gut punch. And frankly, my first instinct was to keep it private. I don't think it's news that I'm a pretty private guy. I never liked uh, burdening others with my problems. It's just not my way. But I've learned from this experience. So taking this kind of job means losing some of the privacy that most of us expect. The American people have a right to know if their leaders are facing health challenges that might affect their ability to perform their duties, even temporarily. So a wider circle should have been notified, especially the president. So, Moshe, I feel like that's very relatable a heartfelt apology as as he grapples with being a public person. Yeah, it was a very personal statement by Lloyd Austin at the press conference before the media on Thursday, saying he's a really private person. And he said he doesn't like to burden others with his problems, though he said, I've learned from this experience that taking this kind of job means losing some sense of privacy that most of us come to expect. The American people have a right to know if their leaders are facing health challenges. And so, you know, he learned his lesson. He was very you know, it, it, it felt very genuine uh, the way he addressed it. He also talked about this being a larger issue in the black community uh, that's not discussed and called on others to get prostate exams and ensure they're preventing this sort of thing from happening. Uh, Jill, before we leave the Middle East here, we're continuing to track a potential hostage agreement uh, between the Israelis and Hamas. As of late Thursday, there's no deal yet, but a lot of indications that we could be close. The Qataris have been intermediaries. We've discussed them. At one point, they were quoted as saying Hamas has agreed. The Israelis have agreed. Then Hamas said, whoa, not so fast. And the Israelis said, whoa, not so fast. But it appears they are getting closer here to some sort of deal, though there are a few sticking points in regards to exactly how many days would take place, what would happen first, second, third. But we are talking about a much longer ceasefire. Remember that initial ceasefire in November was really a day-by-day thing. Uh, This could last anywhere from six weeks to eight weeks, depending on the reporting and the agreement here. About 100 hostages are still being held by Hamas, in addition to several dozen that are dead, but Hamas is still holding their bodies. 
one of the key issues here is the ratio of Palestinian prisoners uh, being exchanged for Israeli hostages. Uh, there was a report in the Wall Street Journal that Hamas is demanding 150 prisoners for every female Israeli soldier set free. Uh, there are a couple dozen of them. And the Israelis said there's no way they'll agree to that. There's also a leak out there that Hamas is demanding thousands of prisoners uh, as part of this deal. And the Israelis say that they have no appetite or desire to do that. So it appears to be a, a numbers game here among the key sticking points. There is some reporting that they're demanding the release of prisoners who were involved in the attacks on October 7th, which Israel has reportedly said is a non-starter. Yeah. One of the reasons potentially for some of the mixed messages that we've been getting from Hamas, according to, to analysts, is because Hamas leadership is so spread out. You've got the people in Qatar, and then you've also got the person who will probably be making the ultimate decision on this. Yaya Sinwar, who is in hiding somewhere in Gaza at the moment. Somewhere under Gaza, uh, allegedly with hostages. So Sinwar has got to approve the deal. The guys in uh, Qatar got to approve the deal. Then they also have the leaders in Lebanon, in Turkey, in Syria, all over the place. Uh, it's unclear exactly how Hamas does these votes, etc. But Sinwar is really holding the uh, key here. And remember, a vital thing for Hamas is that they get to survive uh, to continue to rule Gaza another day, another non-starter for the Israelis. So there's been a lot of ideas thrown out there. There's a lot of uh, intermediaries because Israel and Hamas don't have a relationship. So you got to deal with the Egyptians, the Qataris, the Americans um, in between. Some other countries have tried to get involved here. The Germans, the French, uh, the Saudis are also involved. And so there's a lot happening there. There's a lot being discussed at the State Department. Another story we're watching is the consideration internally at state about recognizing a Palestinian state. Uh, that's been uh, floated. Uh, the State Department has tamped that down in the last day or two. But ultimately, the U.S. is looking at a long-term solution here so we don't get stuck in this uh, continuing cycle. At the same time, trying to navigate very carefully, given that this all started with a uh, terror attack from Hamas. So one of the things they don't want to do is necessarily reward or be seen as rewarding that behavior. That you know, The lesson learned is that you got to do a major terror attack in order to get a major concession. So there's a lot of plate spinning here. But the first thing that many parties want to get to here is an end to active fighting so they can then move on to the next phase. All right, we have a lot more to get to in the podcast today, but I want to thank one of our sponsors this week, Factor. We're definitely pressed for time in our house, but we still want to eat healthy. We want to eat nutritious. And that's why we've been so excited to bring Factor aboard as a Mo News partner. They are America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. This is not your grandma's or your parents' frozen food. This is chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. All you have to do is heat them up. Uh, they come you put them in the fridge. Uh, they're good for a number of days. And it saves you the trip to the grocery store. It saves you the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, but you're still getting the flavor, the nutritional quality that you need. Jill, I know you guys have tried them in your house. We tried them in our house. Uh, they're delicious. You get a choice of 35 weekly meals and it's flexible to your schedule. You can, you know, anywhere from six meals a week to 18 meals a week. Uh, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Again, they come ready to go, ready to heat up in just two minutes. Uh, in fact, they also have a whole bunch of chef-prepared uh, meals they can send you that don't require even you know a zap in the microwave. Uh, they also have cold-pressed juices, shakes, smoothies. Uh, you can head right now to factormeals.com slash monews50. That is factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, factormeals.com slash monews50 for 50% off. Again, the code is monews50 for 50% off. Definitely check them out. 
Okay, time for the speed read from CBS News. Al-Qaeda has established eight new training camps and maintained several safe houses in Afghanistan. This is according to a report provided to the United Nations Security Council this week. The report indicates that the Taliban has not honored its pledge to the United States outlined in the Doha Agreement to sever ties with the terror group and that, if anything, the two organizations remain quite close. The Taliban has provided increased protection and support for al-Qaeda members since regaining control over Afghanistan in 2021 when U.S. forces pulled out, according to the report. Al-Qaeda, the group, of course, behind the September 11th terror attacks on the United States, has reportedly established up to eight new training camps in Afghanistan with a new base to stockpile weaponry. And it also operates five madrasas, religious schools where it trains and indoctrinates children to become fighters. The Taliban released a statement denying the report, saying that the United Nations is, quote, always spreading propaganda. Al-Qaeda's current leader is believed to be based in Iran. So this report was put together by a U.N. Security Council committee that monitors al-Qaeda. It was put together a number of years ago. We haven't heard as much from al-Qaeda in recent years. Uh, The U.S. was successful in effectively taking out almost all of its leadership and then the leaders who replaced those leaders and then the leaders who replaced those leaders. And so it's a much weaker organization. There are also questions as to whether the Taliban would allow these activities jeopardizing U.S. humanitarian support provided to Afghanistan. Still key. Much of Afghanistan depends on humanitarian aid. There's not much of an economy there. So the question is, when we're talking about these training camps, are we really talking about pre-9-11 training camps or, you know, some weaker version of them? Uh, One analyst telling CBS News that uh, their capacity, Al-Qaeda's capacity these days to hit anything outside of South Asia is pretty minimal. The Taliban are careful not to let activities uh, develop beyond that. Um, Still, there are these back channel conversations happening between the Taliban and the U.S. Remember, the U.S. made a deal during the Trump administration to let the Taliban back into Afghanistan. And then, of course, during the withdrawal two years ago, uh, the Taliban basically consolidated its power uh, and took Kabul much quicker than the U.S. anticipated. And so while this is a significant headline that al-Qaeda is still uh, messing around in Afghanistan, has its training camps, this is not bin Laden's al-Qaeda anymore, but still, though, a threat in the region. And you can imagine there will be continuing conversations there between the U.S. uh, and the Taliban about uh, what to do. And then, of course, if they don't do anything about it, uh, the U.S. has a lot of capabilities in the region to strike uh, should they see an imminent threat emanating from there. Especially given that the U.S. has has given about three billion dollars in aid to Afghanistan since pulling out back in August of uh, 2021. Yeah, it's got a lot of leverage. Okay, from USA Today, the first of two atmospheric rivers, also known as a Pineapple Express, hit the West Coast earlier this week, bringing heavy rain and mountain snow. A Pineapple Express is an atmospheric river that builds up in the tropical Pacific. And when it lands in the western U.S., it can cause heavy rain and snow. Satellite images of the first storm on Wednesday showed clouds along the coast from Los Angeles to Juneau, Alaska. AccuWeather says the first storm will continue to funnel copious amounts of moisture like a giant fire hose. More than 20 million people across the state were under weather alerts Wednesday because of the heightened risk of flooding and high winds. And while residents in California will see a partially dry weekend, uh, what they're really watching is a second storm forecast to hit Sunday into Monday with the potential to be a lot stronger. Yeah, this is something we were watching last year when they saw the record number of atmospheric rivers. The state actually experienced the longest stretch of continuous atmospheric river conditions going back 70 years. Uh, Last year, nine back-to-back atmospheric rivers. 
this year we're not seeing that number and keep in mind that you know this is when uh, major precipitation happens in California and the West they're dependent on this rain uh, on average about 50% of annual precipitation on the West Coast occurs in just a few of these events at the same time though they come in sometimes in very extreme ways causing mudslides power issues erosion property damage and these things are huge right they could be up to 400 miles wide so massive rain and snowstorm so we're watching that not quite what we saw last year so far but of course it's also good news given the extreme drought conditions that california was experiencing in recent years To business news, Peloton shares slid more than 20% Thursday after the fitness company said that its turnaround plan is falling short. CEO Barry McCarthy wrote in a letter to investors that some of his ideas have failed, including a push into selling Peloton bikes with college colors. He said the company sold substantially fewer bikes to alumni and boosters than expected, and that program will be discontinued. He also criticized Peloton's customer service department called member support. He said the experience has tarnished our brand and that the busy holiday shipping season was particularly taxing for customers. So Jill, you guys didn't get a his and hers, Michigan, Ohio State, Peloton bikes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking if they do some type of major sale, maybe we'll go for it. I think there's nothing but sales coming out of Peloton these days. Remember, we told you last year they overhauled their digital app with a new look, new pricing tiers, uh, trying to get people involved in their fitness classes. It certainly worked for you, Jill. I know you're a big I love it. I Yes. Yes. And so <laughs> the question is, can they find more Jills out there to be part of that recovery plan? They do expect memberships to decline this quarter by about 13%. Uh, there are some bright spots. They do have hope that their partnership with TikTok to create more fitness videos will generate excitement, uh, get the youth involved in Peloton. Staying with business news here, notice this headline from Walmart. The retail giant plans to open or expand 150 stores in the U.S. over the next five years. And it's notable because for the last few years, Walmart has made a point of not opening any new stores. They've been really focused on their e-presence, competing with Amazon. Right now, Walmart has just over 4,700 stores across the U.S. They're going to be converting some smaller format stores to super centers. That's where you get everything. They also got out of some urban areas. They see much more profitability in suburban and rural areas. And they're working on their staffing uh, and preserving managers. You might have seen this week, Jill, they have uh, a new bonus structure promising now up to $400,000 or more than $400,000 for store managers. All right, Moshe, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) You can definitely afford the his and her Peloton bikes with that salary. Uh, Staying with business news, this from Axios, a Delaware judge this week invalidated Tesla CEO Elon Musk's $56 billion compensation package, ruling that he failed to prove that it was fair. The ruling marks a major setback for the world's richest person who could drop from the world's richest man to the third richest man. Wah, wah. (laughs) (laughs) Tough tough going, tough going, Elon. The judge in her ruling said Musk, quote, enjoyed thick ties with the directors tasked with negotiating on behalf of Tesla and dominated the process that led to board approval of his compensation plan. In 2018, Musk agreed to be Tesla's CEO or executive chairman and chief product officer for a decade Tesla agreed to pay him 20.3 million stock options in 12 tranches that would vest as the company met more than a dozen milestones. Those jaw-dropping benchmarks included growing Tesla's market value to $650 billion. Yeah, so when they agreed to this, this is the largest pay package in public corporate history. And we should note he met all 12 of those milestones they set out for him. 
the issue the judge takes with this is that ultimately who's on the board here? Family members, close friends, they believe that he basically controlled his own salary. So what happened here? Why did the judge rule this way? Well, a lawsuit was filed by a shareholder of Tesla saying, I'm a shareholder of Tesla and I feel this is inappropriate and unfair as a shareholder. And, uh, you know, please look into this. The judge determined that the share-based compensation package was negotiated, as you said, by directors who were beholden to Musk here and let him basically decide his own pay. Uh, And also, in addition to this $56 billion payday, he got to do stuff on the side, right? Go run Twitter, which he renamed X. Go run SpaceX. Go do his Neuralink thing. You know, all the stuff that Elon does. So the shareholders here arguing that ultimately we're paying the CEO an exorbitant sum And he's not even spending all of his time focused on this company. To put this in perspective, Musk's package, if it went through here, was six times larger than the combined pay of the 200 highest paid executives in America. So all 200 of them, Musk's payday is still six times larger than that, just to put things in perspective. So the judge here in Delaware is saying, this is beyond the pale. This is an unfair price. And uh, I agree with the plaintiffs here. I agree with the shareholders that this shouldn't go through. Now, Musk can appeal this to the Delaware Supreme Court. Uh, He actually has been tweeting, Xing, of course, uh, his reactions here. He said no one should ever incorporate in Delaware. And then he launched a poll in the last day uh, asking people out there whether he should move Tesla from Delaware to Texas. And what did they say? So far, Texas is winning, Joe. (laughs) To health news, this from CBS, a team of scientists discovered some new evidence that a molecule called Exist found only in women, is the major culprit in autoimmune diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. The researchers led by scientists at Stanford University published the findings Thursday in the journal Cell. 50 million Americans, about 80% women, have an autoimmune disease. Again, that's four out of five autoimmune patients are female. The illnesses, there are about 100, manipulate the body's immune system to attack healthy tissue. Women have two X chromosomes, while men have an X and a Y. The chromosomes are tight bundles of genetic material that carry instructions for making proteins. Exist plays a crucial role by inactivating one of the X chromosomes in women, helping to avert what would otherwise be a disastrous overproduction of proteins. However, the research found that in that process, Exist also generates strange molecular complexes that are linked to many autoimmune diseases. So Exist does something necessary in turning off basically one of the X chromosomes in women, but apparently also creates issues in the process here. And so the scientists here conducted much of their work on mice, but found that Exist complexes uh, trigger a chemical response in humans that is a hallmark of autoimmune diseases. Now, uh, as you noted, men have an X chromosome as well, an X and a Y. So the discovery here doesn't necessarily explain why some autoimmune issues still are more prevalent in men. That includes type 1 diabetes, But a better understanding of this molecule exists, which is X-I-S-T, but pronounced exist, could lead to some new tests that could catch autoimmune diseases sooner. It also could lead here to more effective treatments for the um, tens of millions of women who suffer from them. From the New York Times, the 66th annual Grammy Awards on Sunday could be a celebration of a dominant year for women in pop music with female stars like SZA, Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, and Billie Eilish facing off in the major categories. 
Swift and SZA, that's S-Z-A, each have the potential for landmark wins for an award show that in the past has been criticized for its treatment of female stars. This lineup alone is being interpreted as a sign of progress. Whoever wins the night will have a roster of performers, young and old, including SZA, Billie Eilish, Rodrigo, Joni Mitchell, Luke Combs, Dua Lipa, Travis Scott. Burna Boy, Billy Joel, and U2. So something for everyone there. Yeah. The host for a fourth straight year is comedian Trevor Noah. Some storylines to watch. Will Taylor Swift make history? If her album Midnight's wins on Sunday, she will become the first person to win Best Album four times. Travis Kelsey, by the way, will not be at the award show as her date. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like these days, Jill, we have to track Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor's movements. I feel like that's like been the headline of the week, right? The Grammys, we should mention, are uh, set for Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS. I believe they also have a streaming ability to stream it as well. I always like the Grammys because it's effectively a three-hour concert, especially if you like who's performing, which again, you know, it's a rare instance where you have U2, Billy Joel's, Joni Mitchell's of the world, another rare occurrence. You mentioned Luke Combs is performing. Of course, he had his big cover this year of Fast Car. Well, Tracy Chapman, uh, who has not performed publicly in years, will supposedly be on stage with him. She's only performed on camera three times in the past 15 years. Uh, Remember, she first came out with Fast Car back in the late 80s. uh, And of course, he's had success with it. So that'll be very cool to watch. And then, of course, the story of the award season. Will Barbie win awards? Uh, Several of the songs, the original songs from the movie are up for awards here in one category. The best song written for visual media, Barbie tracks make up five of the slots. So I feel like they have that one on lockdown, no matter which one wins. So that'll be Sunday night, Jill. I'm totally with you. If you're going to watch one show, you got to go with the Grammys because it's basically a concert. All right, Moshe, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. What are you watching? So we sort of gave it away in the last story. I'll be watching the Grammys <laughs> Sunday night. Uh, also notable, and I guess I'll have to watch this afterwards or figure out what combination um, I watched these two in. Sunday night uh, will also be the release of the first episode of the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry David Show on HBO. That'll be premiering Sunday night. What are you going to be watching, Jill? Well, in preparation for my interview this week with Ambassador Deborah Lipstadt, who's the special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism, I watched the movie Denial. It came out in 2016. It's about uh, when David Irving, a Holocaust denier in the UK, sued Lipstadt for libel. It is a great movie if you have not seen it. And my interview with Lipstadt, by the way, will be out today on the premium feed. Talk about having something for everybody. The Grammys... Kirby Enthusiasm, and the movie Denial. We got, <laughs> we, we, we got you covered. It is a great movie, by the way, if you have not seen it. Most dare we ask, what are you reading this week? So just got a copy of the book, The Big Fail. Uh, it's a book by Joe Nacera and Bethany McLean. We're actually going to have Bethany on the podcast on the Premium Pod next week. Uh, she's a longtime Vanity Fair writer. And they decided, while well, the rest of us are ready to move on from COVID, they decided to look into all the mistakes that happened. And uh, they let everyone have it the liberals, the Republicans, uh, Trump, Democratic governors and mayors. And they dive into the damage the lockdowns did, uh, shows who got rich off the pandemic, those big tech 
CEOs, how the affluent and well-educated were protected during that time, and how the decisions that were made disproportionately harmed small businesses and vulnerable groups. So appreciate them for looking into it. Uh, and look out for that podcast over on the premium feed next week. Jill, what are you reading? I'm reading an opinion piece in the New York Times called Mean Girls Has Lost Its Bite, Girls Haven't. And it's basically looking at how much has changed in the 20 years since the original Mean Girls movie came out. Everybody is a lot more aware of the importance of inclusivity and, and the seriousness of subjects that used to be treated as jokes. But Girls will be girls. So this article looks at, I guess, all of the ways in which some of that bullying has moved online. So it, it's still there. It's just different. So basically, they're arguing that they've cleaned up the, the language and it doesn't necessarily reflect what people are actually experiencing. That's right. I skimmed the article. I'm going to read it more fully, but that's what I'm gathering from at least the beginning part of it. When we tell you what we're reading this weekend, we mean it in earnest. Sometimes we're We mean we're it. This is <laughs> when this we're is recording this I'm podcast. <laughs> Moshe, I'm in the middle of reading it. I can't answer your question yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Moshe, what are you eating? All right. So two things right now, and I feel good about it because I feel like it's balanced. One is Girl Scout cookie season. So Alex uh, had a link up to someone selling Girl Scout cookies and we ordered, I think, a couple dozen boxes, you know, all the uh, the classics, the tagalongs, and the thin mints. We've already put a couple boxes in the freezer. And at the same time, it's sumo orange season between January and April. So definitely go out to your grocery store and get some of those sumo oranges. It's one of our favorites at home. Moshe, I'm going to be eating fruit as well. Like general fruit or any specific Yes, fruit? people on Long Island swear by this small fruit store that okay. is in my area. There's some, I don't want to name it because there's some rumors that, like, I guess the fruit is so good that someone started a rumor that the person who owns it sprays sugar water on top of the fruit. But either way, I think we're going to give it a whirl. So, so, so folks, this is practical information for you. Jill is eating fruit from the secret fruit store in Long Island this weekend. The way I figure fruit is fruit, right? Even if, even with or without sugar water. All right. So if you're interested and you're nearby, DM Jill uh, on Instagram. Maybe she'll reveal the location to you. Yes, I will reveal my source at Jill R. Wagner. That is on Instagram. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.